typical day for me will start at around 6.30 in the morning for call time. On my end as a service director, my prep is coordinating with the other directors of my team and uh, just getting prepared to make sure logistically I know the timeline and the transition points that uh, will affect the service for that day. Part of my past, my family never really attended church on a regular basis. Uh, so it was never um, impressed upon me in regards to, you know, not only giving, giving of myself, but also giving of, of my resources and making attendance a priority. We were invited to attend Traders Point three or four times before we started making the decision to start coming, you know, pretty regularly. Aaron asked us to make a commitment to a growth track. We didn't have to think too hard that we, we really believed that this was, you know, something that we both believed was good, not only individually, but, you know, for us as a family. So uh, we, we jumped in attended each of the four classes. And through trials and tribulations, I found myself coming closer and, and building a better relationship with God and being all in regards to allowing him to take control and guide me. I look at service as, as sort of that accountability point. Not only are you called to do this, but just know is that, you know, you get as much out of it, if not more, than what you give to others. Hey, can we give it up to Chris real quick? Incredible, making an impact. And just so you know, if you're thinking about that, joining a serving team, we have a spot for you. You can go to the link behind me to jump in and, and start serving. Uh, and one more thing before we get rolling today, I do want to go ahead and just invite you back for next weekend. Next week, we kick off a brand new series of messages titled Rally Cry. And here's what that is. A, a rally cry is simply a word or a phrase that's used to pull people together. That when this word or phrase is heard, it brings everyone together and they rally around an area, usually an area that's been attacked and needs protected. So what we've said is, hey, this past year, a lot of areas in our lives get, got hit pretty hard. And what we want to do now as a church is, is rally around them. So we want to spend some time and say, what does it look like to rally around our marriages? What does it look like to rally around our kids, to rally around our relationships and our communities? and then to rally around our church because we believe that unified under the name of Jesus, no matter how hard those areas got hit, if we rally around them together, that they can be stronger than ever. Anyone with us on that? Excited for that? Hey, me too, AB will be back to preach that one. Um, but for today, we're finishing up our series, Let's Talk About It. And we've been in this for the past few weeks and I know it's hit me Pretty good, it's, it's been pretty helpful. Anybody here today been helped by this series? Anybody found some hope from this? Let's talk about it. Same, and, and what we've been doing is just saying, this past year there was, a, there was a big thing going on, a pandemic, but then there was also a pandemic underneath the pandemic. And it was the mental and emotional health pandemic. And it was raging, but it wasn't getting the coverage that the first one was getting. So we said, hey, let's talk about it. Let's talk about some of these things that are coming up like anxiety and depression and addiction. And it's been, it's been good just to know that you're not alone. And we've said that this should be the spot where that happens because the church should be the safest place to bring our struggles and to have honest conversations. And that's all we're doing in this series is having a conversation saying, let's talk about it. And uh, today is uh, a little bit different in the sense of we talk about one side of what we're going to talk about today a lot. But the other side, the one we're going to focus on today and have a conversation about, we don't really hit too much. You ever have things like that where people talk about the beauty of one side, the greatness of it, but then don't forget to mention this other thing over here. 
Like marriage. Marriage is a beautiful, beautiful thing, right? Love and happiness. You got one person with you the rest of your life. Like you fall asleep holding hands. Notebook style. But you guys wake up in the morning. It, it's amazing. It's beautiful. People tell you about that. But what they don't tell you about is the bathroom situation. There's a lot that they don't tell you about that happens in the bathroom. But one of the big ones is the bathroom drain and what women's hair does to it. And what as a husband you signed up for is to clean out that drain. We talk about love. We don't talk about that kind of service, but there is nothing like when, when you're down on your knees and you know, you know, if you haven't been married enough, long enough to see what the hair does, just you get down there and you reach and you, and you get a snake thing that you don't even know how to work, but you're working it. And then the hair comes up and you, you grab it and you're, you, she's behind you. So you're trying not to gag and like, oh, no, I'm good. I'm gonna get it. I'm give me a minute. Um, you got her back and then you're pulling it out. This is not the picture you had when you were down on one knee asking her to marry you, right? You're like, how did I get here? What we're going to talk about today is like that because we talk a lot about faith. And when we're down on our knees praying to God, like, God, I believe that there's a God and I believe he loves me and cares for me. There's this amazing moment and it has so much to offer us. It's a beautiful thing of faith. But there's another side of faith and it's doubt. In those same knees that we're on, when we're giving our lives to God, we, we're on that mountaintop. We can never picture in that moment being down on our knees again, but with doubt. When the mountain has become a valley, when we can't see as clearly and we begin to lose hope. So what we said is, let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation about doubt because unprocessed doubt can show up in a lot of ways. It can show up in anger. It can show up in addiction or depression or anxiety and all of it. And since our faith and our doubt are, are such major components of our life, and if, if that string gets pulled and doubts become to be able to take over, it can be the thing that everything crumbles under. And we don't want that. But we also don't want this to be a fake place where we act and pretend like we don't have doubts. So we said, let's talk about it. And here, here's where I want to start with just the picture of what doubt is, because I think there's this traditional view of what doubt is. It's almost like if you could look at a timeline, like you have doubt way over here, and then I have faith over here, like showing that they, they're very different. Either there's moments where I have faith and then there's moments where I have doubt, but that's just not an accurate picture of what these two are, that there's actually a paradox here that you can't eliminate doubt without also eliminating faith as well. And can I show you that? I, I, I wanna go to a moment in time, in history, where if, if doubt was ever going to be eliminated completely, it would be done in this moment. But we'll see what we see. So if you'd go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew 28, if you don't have one, no worries, but I'll set the, the stage for you. This is the end of Jesus's ministry. He's already lived the life. He's already went to the cross. He's already died and now he's resurrected. 
And he's called his closest followers, the people that have been with him from the beginning, to come to him and meet him on the mountainside. Look at this. Look at what happens. Then the 11 disciples, they left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Right? That makes sense to us. These are the people that followed him the closest. They know him the best. They were there when he was doing these teachings that they had never heard before. They were there when he was high stepping on top of the water. They were there when he, you know, raised that one guy from dead to life. And then they were there when they saw him crucified, thrown into a tomb. And then now they're looking at that same guy standing in front of them. This would be the moment. If doubt could be eliminated, if doubt could be done with on this side of eternity, it would be in this moment. But look at what we see. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some of them, say it with me, doubted. What? He's, he's there though. All the proof, everything. And, they still have doubt. So as much as I would love to get up here and to give you three quick things that you could eliminate doubt from your life, I don't think that that's possible. But what I do think is that we can begin to reframe the way we see doubt and we can find ways to work through our doubts. And let's start with this, just what I believe is a better picture of what doubt actually is. It's not a line where either I have faith or I have doubt, but it's a circle where it all exists together. I have faith and doubt. The doubt is uncertainty and faith is uncertainty with confidence. The doubt is not an enemy of my faith, but my faith is the most important thing. It's the foundation that everything sits on. My faith is, is what I cling to and what I grab to of the things that are unseen, the things that haven't happened yet. Doubt is the thing that keeps me reaching. Doubt is the thing that keeps me going towards that rope and pulling myself closer and closer to Jesus. That there is no stigma that comes with doubt. There's no shame that should come with doubt. Look at this. I'm going to say it this way. Having doubts doesn't mean you are a hypocrite. It means you're human. Having doubts is not something that should keep you from God, from church, from one another. It's not something that, that should keep you from any, it's an invitation to ask questions, an invitation to pray, an invitation to work your way closer and closer to Jesus. Because we can't eliminate it, but we can work through it. And that's what I wanna spend our time on today is how can we work through our doubts? And we're gonna start with this concept. If we want to work through our doubts, we have to give God the benefit of the doubt. Give God the benefit of the doubt. And throw in a little extra here. This is a bonus, bonus sermon. This is a relational concept. So if you're working through doubts with God, obviously you apply, apply this to him. But if you want a better marriage, give your spouse the benefit of the doubt. If you want a better relationship with your kids, give your kids the benefit of the doubt. Because here's simply what it is. To give someone the benefit of the doubt is the state of accepting something or someone as honest or deserving of trust, 
even though there are doubts. This is the life of a follower of Jesus. As much as pains us to say, it's a life of faith, meaning it's a life lacking proof where faith has to come in, where we have to show up over and over and over again. So I just wanna say this right now. If you have doubts, if you are struggling with faith, don't let it stop you. Keep coming, keep coming to serve, keep opening up your word, keep coming in here to worship with other people. Doubt is not something that should keep you from God. You belong here before you or if you ever believe. Can we say that? Can we let everybody know? That is you. And if you, if you, this is just the beginning of the conversation. We've created so many resources to help you work through your doubts. And you can find it all on our website, tpcc.org care. It is all right there. But we want to give God the benefit of the doubt. Meaning when that gap comes, when there's doubts that arise, I'm going to stop and I'm going to say, God, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And we do this pretty naturally with people that we trust and we love, right? Like with your spouse, they leave for work in the morning. As they're pulling out of the driveway, you're not like, hey, see you later. Don't know if I'll ever see them again. They might run off with someone. Maybe they never come, I don't know. No, you would lose your mind if you had that thought. No, they leave and you say, I know who they are. I trust them to be faithful. I trust them to follow through on the vows that they have made me. And then you don't think another thing about it. But at the same time, have you ever had someone or have someone in your life that you don't trust? That it doesn't matter what they say, you don't believe a word that's coming out of their mouth. How's that relationship going? Like, hey, how's it going, Ryan? I like your shoes. Yeah, thanks. Liar. I don't even like these shoes. I know he's lying. Do you have that with God? That you give him the credit for all the bad things, but none of the good. You see, to give God the benefit of the doubt is to come to this spot where saying, I'm gonna trust you. That even when I don't know why, I know who, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust your character. And the way we do that is two simple things. The first one being this. Begin with Jesus. I'm going to give God the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to begin with Jesus. The way faith works and the way we're set up, we will find what we're looking for. If we're setting out to find an angry God who's mad at us, who's upset with the world, if we're, if we're looking for an absent God, we'll find it. But if we begin with Jesus, we will find Jesus and we will see God in a new light. And we could say so much about who Jesus is, but I just want to narrow it down to this one short verse in John. Look at this. So the word, that's God, became human, that's Jesus, and made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So when I think about God, giving him the benefit of the doubt, it becomes much easier if I start with Jesus. Because I start with a God who has nothing but unfailing love and faithfulness to me. That everything he's doing is for my good, for his glory. It's a response out of love. Not doing something in love, but he is love. It's all that he can do. 
That's, what, that's where I began. I give God the benefit of the doubt by starting with Jesus and then by being humble. This is such a hard concept because a doubt is birthed out of this phrase, I don't know. And that is a tough place to sit. We hate not knowing. And our kids remind us of how much we don't know all the time. Am I right? I got three little ones that have questions that I don't have answers to. Like we'll just be driving and they're just simple questions. Um, I, I blame my public education like I do most things, but I'll be driving and my son was like, dad, I'm like, yeah. He's like, what's fog? <sighs> well, you see fog, the term actually comes from a uh, Latin derivative of um, fog, meaning what kind of fog are you talking about? You talking about Indiana fog? <laughs> and I'm like, sir, I can't say I don't know. Um, and then my daughter, who's two years older, says, oh, a fog is just a low cloud that's gathered close to the surface. You know what? Did I, I didn't, I was about to get to that point. I was giving him a background of what, what they come, where they come from. You want to talk now? You know, maybe you should go to your room and think about talking if you want to talk so much about what you know. <laughs> but we hate not knowing especially the older we get becoming adults to say, I don't know is a tough thing. But if we are gonna process things of God, things that our finite brains cannot, that we're gonna to come to a God that we're openly saying, his ways are not our ways. They're bigger, stronger, different in every way. We're gonna to try to wrestle with these. We have to get comfortable with saying, I don't know. So let's have some fun right now. We're gonna say it together. I don't know. See how freeing that is? It's not attached to anything. But I don't know. There's so much humility that comes from that. And it brings us to such a, 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 a safe and secure place, which sounds so strange. And I think that's because a lot of times we go to I don't know, and then it twirls us into a bunch of other things that we don't know. Like we start with, well, I don't know that. What else don't I know? And then we spin over here and then we continue opening that door to another thing that we don't know and then another thing that we don't know. And then we get way over here and we're questioning everything. Reality, like, am I real? Am I a person? Is this a dream? How can I know? So start with I don't know, but then quickly move to this. I don't know, but here's what I do know. I don't know. But here's what I do know. And this is gonna be the framework that we use as we kind of walk through doubts. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why that happened. I don't know what that is, but here's what I do know. I'm gonna give God the benefit of the doubt. That there's a gap here, I'm gonna fill it with trust. I don't know. I'm gonna begin with Jesus. So that's what I'm gonna see this problem through. What I'm struggling, I'm gonna see it what does Jesus have to say about this? And what does he tell me about this? And then I'm gonna be humble, coming to the fact that I may never get my arms around what this is. And I may have to come to this space of humility saying, God, I don't get it, but I'm gonna trust you anyways. I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt. And what I wanna do right now is just kind of work through this with some of the big buckets that a lot of our doubts kind of live. They're, they're birthed out of these three big things, these, these barriers that keep us from coming to know Jesus. And, and I think if, if you have doubts right now and you're saying, I, I wish I could believe, I want to believe, I wanna give my life to Jesus, 
It's probably in one of these three that your doubts are coming from. So here it is. People, proof, and pain. I would believe, but my doubts are just too heavy when it comes to people or proof or pain. So let's just walk through each one of those. First one being people. And here's what I mean. You probably had this thought. If there's a good God, why are people so messed up? Scratch that. Why are Christians so messed up? This is God's people. Don't you think they'd look a little bit better? And, and I think what we need to get to with this one, though, is this separation of when we begin to talk about people, that becomes how we see God. You see, for me, I, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't come to know Jesus until I was 21. And for most of my life, every idea I had of God or the church or his people was wrapped up with one person, one interaction at one open gym. You see, one Wednesday I went, I heard about this open gym. I loved playing basketball growing up. So I show up and I get into the gym and I start putting on my, my basketball shoes. And this guy comes up to me and he says, hey, were you here for the Bible study? And I was like, hey, I, I don't know what that is. So I'm pretty sure I wasn't here for it, but I, I'm just here to play basketball. No worries. And he was like, oh man, um, sorry. But if you didn't come to the Bible study, you can't be here for the open gym. And I was like, oh. Okay, he's like, yeah, I'm gonna need you to wait outside. It was raining outside. So this is, a, this, is a, this is a bad moment, okay? So I'm standing in the rain waiting for my ride to come. Now, I didn't have anything else to put with God other than this instant at this place where God is supposed to be. And even though I didn't process it or articulate it, when I think back, that began to, that's how I saw God. That God was someone that would tell me I don't belong here, that I needed, to wait outside, that he was okay with me being in the rain. So I think we have to come to this spot of saying a lot of the doubts that we have in people, whether that's through a personal person you met, whether that's through something like slavery or the crusades or things that people did in the name of Jesus, to come to this spot instead of what did the headlines say? What did that person do? That's how I shape God, but start here. Jesus is. And if you don't have anything to fill that blank with, you probably don't have enough to have doubts in God. But to start in that space and to say, maybe all the things that I've gathered aren't true about Jesus. They may be true about other people. They may be true of the, the situations you've been in, but who is Jesus? Because here's the truth of it. A lot of people, do things in the name of Jesus, but violate the ways of Jesus. And we have to know Jesus really, really well to know the difference. So here's our framework. I don't know. I don't know why we struggle so much messing things up. I don't know how people landed logically to the spaces that they've landed over time in the name of Jesus. But here's what I do know. Jesus is perfect. Jesus' ways bring life, they bring healing, they bring hope, and they are incredible. There's nothing like it. And if we wanna look at people, 
You know, a lot of times we see the bad and we apply it to all. But if you want to look at people that have been impacted by Jesus and done great things, it's not hard to find. Start with the 11 on the mountainside that doubted. A bunch of ordinary nobodies that after this moment with Jesus, taking him seriously, living by his spirit, changed the world. To the point that 2,000 years later, we're here talking about this same thing. So I don't know a lot, but what I do know is Jesus. And he's perfect and he is filled with unfailing love and faithfulness to me. That's what I know. The second one is proof. I think this is a big one for a lot of us that we wrestle with. Like, I would believe, but God needs a better marketing department. My man is not making it clear who he is, that he exists. Like, just put it in the sky for me one time. I'm God. Sign God. But the problem, the problem with proof is that it's never enough. If you've had a chance to open up your Bible, you'll see that there's stories of people that have these incredible moments with God where God speaks directly to them, these prophets. And they have amazing moments like Elijah that we were talking about last week. He has this day that would blow your mind. He shows up and he goes, it's him against the world, him against all these false gods and false prophets. And God shows up in a big way, destroys the competition. And in less than 24 hours, he goes from having faith that God could do anything to so much doubt that he's ready to end his life. You see, the problem with proof is that it's never enough. That if proof was enough, a marriage license would be enough to keep marriages together. The, the truth about it is proof is enough for a conviction, but it's not enough for a relationship. So there's a lot I don't know about why God reveals himself the way that he does in some ways and others. But what I do know that if our God is after faith, trusting in him, then proof is not going to be what he leads with. Because if he has to prove himself every single time, our faith will never grow. But instead, I believe he's going to create opportunities where we can follow him, where we can fill that gap with trust. That's the proof. What I do know is that if you're looking for proof, it is a historical account. There's eyewitnesses. There's thousands of copies of a manuscript. If you place the Bible against any ancient piece of literature, it's not even close in comparison, there's so, many, there's so much proof there if you want it. But I'm telling you, there will never be enough until we come to this space of saying, Jesus, you are enough. Jesus, you are the proof that I need. And I'll say the final one, which is probably the biggest one, kind of build on each other here, and that's pain. Comes really hard to reconcile a good God with a bad world. A good God with painful circumstances, a good God with cancer, a good God with death. How do we reconcile those two things? I wish I could believe, but I've seen too much. I, I can't bring those two ideas together. And I just want to say, I don't know. I don't know why a lot of things happen that have happened to me. I don't know why things, the bad things that have happened to you have happened. I don't have an answer for all of that. I don't have a why, but I do know who. And if I start with Jesus, then I know that he's not absent in the pain. I know that there is a God that's for me 
Because of Jesus, I know that there's a God that has experienced everything that I have experienced. But the problem with pain is I don't have a lot of my answers as to why, but I do know who. And I know that with my God, pain was not a part of the plan, but when it came in, he made a plan for the pain that he's going to deal with it. But if you see this in Revelation, it takes faith to believe it and to trust it. But look at what God says. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. See, I fill the gap. A lot of things I don't know, but I do know that. I know my God sees it. I know my God's with me. And I know my God has a plan that one day it will be no more. That I don't know. But here's what I do know about proof, about people, and about pain. I think those are the three big buckets. And I just don't want us to get to this spot where we ever think that we have to hide or pretend. There might not be answers that we want to hear, but there are answers if we start with God, give him the benefit of the doubt, and then look at who Jesus is and we're humble. We can get places. We can work through our doubts in a healthy way. And I do think those create a lot of doubts, but there's also another little thing that I think trips us up. Another thing that creates doubt in our lives. And this is when doubt begins to kind of shift. We've talked a lot about healthy doubt and then it leads to faith, but there's also a doubt that's not so healthy. A doubt that, that, that's created there that leads us away from God. And, and I think a lot of times this happens because if we're living in a world that God created, he's a really big God, a really powerful God, which means he has the right to say what I should and shouldn't do. And if I'm going to get around this God, I have to doubt him. I have to diminish him. I have to discredit him so that I can do the thing that I want to do. So I can do the thing that I feel like doing in the moment. And I know you're a little quiet, even though I'm stepping on your toes. Am I getting a little too close? It's too real? Oh, not you? You don't struggle with that. That we all have these things that, I mean, just try to process. I understand how we get there. Because if there's a God that's omnipresent, he's there all the time. He sees everything that we do and not even that, everything that we think, that we think before we think it, as we think it, it becomes a lot. So we say, you know what? The easier thing is, is just to do away with that. I'm going to doubt God and do my own thing. And my wife was actually studying this same topic this week in 1 Thessalonians. And don't you just love it when a plan comes together and you can steal from your wife for a sermon? Uh, but she was talking about, yeah, I do think there's good and healthy, natural doubt that leads you to Jesus. But then there's this other doubt that leads to something very, very dangerous. When we begin to diminish God, and here's what that is that we need to be mindful of. First Thessalonians 5, that we do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. And the word stifle, it just means to make it hard for someone to breathe. That that's what our doubts can do with the spirit of God if they're approached in a negative way. And that shows up in a lot of different ways. Here's just a list of what that could look like. That when I begin to lack, when I begin to, to doubt and I begin to discredit God, it can turn into a lack of prayer. Because I doubt that God has anything to say to me and I doubt that it matters if I talk at all. It can lead to justifying sin. 
I doubt that what I do matters anymore, so I'm gonna live for the moment. Take you way back. YOLO, baby, you only live once. I'm doing it now. It can lead to pulling away from community and church. That I doubt that the people over there have anything to help me with. I doubt people. And then it can even bring division within the church. So it moves from I doubt that they could be helpful, that I doubt that they should exist at all. And doubts can be coming to come through and begin to be divisive and to tear people apart. This is why we need to take doubt seriously. Not that it just shows up in anger and it shows up in anxiety. It, it can come that way. But the reason we have to be really careful and address doubts head on and to be honest with them and process through them in healthy ways because the consequences are detrimental. That we could actually stifle the spirit of God within us, which is best thing that we have going for us. It is our hope to live this life that God has for us. And maybe you don't know who the Holy Spirit is, but let me just kick it for you real quick. This is who the Holy Spirit is. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is that he is that advocate, an advocate for you, rooting for you, cheering for you, supporting you, leading you to Jesus, the very Spirit of God. And look at this. Look at what it says in John. If you love me, Obey my commandments and I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Drop down just a little bit more. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you. That when those doubts begin to creep in, that when we begin to lose a connection with what we're seeing of our reality, painting pictures of God that just aren't true, we actually have the very spirit of God redirecting us, bringing us back, realigning us, sharing all truth with us and saying, no, no, that's not what Jesus said. Remember what Jesus did? Remember what Jesus showed us? Like if you've ever seen a coach with like four and five-year-olds, like that's what I picture the Holy Spirit looks like for most of us, just like running around with us. No, 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 no. Now's not the time for a water break. You gotta get back over here. Oh, no, 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 put that down. Get, get your hands out of your pants. Hey, come here, hands out of your nose. We have the spirit of God within us reminding us of all things. And if the warning is to not stifle it, then we need to give our lives and the hope that we have to letting the spirit breathe. Let the spirit of God breathe within you to lead you to all truth, to lead you to these spaces that you don't even know where they are yet, but trusting that God is gonna take you through it in ways that nothing else can. We gotta let the spirit breathe. And I just wanna, yeah, come on. I just wanna give us three ways, three ways we can create environments where the spirit can breathe because you probably have environments in your life where the spirit breathes better when you're there. You have, lot, you have spots in your life where you breathe better no matter what the situation is. When you go to that place, it's easier for you to breathe and that's what we need to do, let the spirit breathe. The first thing we can do is this, be in God's word daily. That, Scripture, the Bible, is described as God breathed. There's this, and then there's this ancient Chinese proverb that says that the faintest ink is stronger than the best memory. Think about how much stronger the ink of God is on our lives. 
It's not just reading something to cross it off. It's not just reading something to say, I did 10 minutes. No, you are interacting. You are going back and forth with a God who has pinned his thoughts in a book. And you get to live and work from that. Look at, look at how it talks about it in Hebrews, what the Bible is, what the word of God is. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. We get to this spot where we're in God's word every day. The spirit is breathing. The spirit has already been breathed. It's already been, the breath is on the words. And then God's spirit is leading us, reading through that of like, oh no, you had that crazy thought? Come over here, let me show you what God says about that. Oh, you think that this, that God forgot you? Let me take you over here to the Psalms over here. Oh, you, you, what do you, okay, come on over here. And I'm gonna open it up to places you don't even know about yet and your faith is gonna be renewed. That's the first thing, daily Bible reading. And we've created a whole thing that we'll send out to you every single day if you subscribe to it, just because we believe in God's word that much. The second one is prayer. If you want to let the spirit breathe in your life, we have to spend time talking to God. It is hard to give the benefit of the doubt to someone that you don't talk to, someone that you don't have a relationship with. That our prayers get us to this honest space where we get to have a conversation with God, but it's not a one and done type thing. Jesus paints a very different picture of what prayer is. Look at this in, in Matthew. He says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. But this is the spot where we were talking about in the beginning. Did we get to this spot of, I don't know. I need to ask. And we knock on that door. And we give God about 30 seconds to get to the front door. Knowing heaven's really big, take a long time to get there. But we're like, bang, bang, God, I need, he's not there. I'm gonna open this door. And we begin to walk through this other way. But the way Jesus paints this picture of prayer, he calls it effective prayer, is that you keep on knocking. You keep on seeking. You come to this place of like, God, I don't know the answers, but I know they're not out there. It's like this spot in, in the gospels where the disciples get this really hard teaching. And Jesus is like, y'all gonna leave too? They're like, where else would we go? You're the one that has life. So we come to this space of honesty and doubts and not that we're getting the answers right away, but we believe where we're standing is the best place to be. And we know that God's not withholding us and we know that everything's working in his time, that his unfailing love and his compassion and his faithfulness is gonna come and I'm gonna keep on knocking because I know I'd rather knock at the door of God than go anywhere else. I trust you, God. It's prayer. But I can tell you how, you how you can know when that doubt is creeping into your prayers. It's not when you stop praying. I mean, that's one thing. But there's another thing that can happen in our prayers where it moves to this spot where we go to God as critics. We go to God critiquing him, not coming humbly before him as the creator of everything, but demanding answers and then poking holes in his character and making it seem like there's something wrong with, with him. And we get this picture that it happens to a guy in the Bible, his name's Job, and Job had it bad. The worst that it could possibly be. Like 
He lost everything. The people that he loved, his kids, everything is falling apart around him. And all he has is, is just a bunch of goofballs for friends. And they're giving him even worse advice. And now he's beginning to turn on the one thing that he has, his faith in God. And he begins to question and challenge who God is. And, and look at how the Lord responds to him. He says, then the Lord said to Job, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? When we find ourselves in this spot of being a critic, that's when we know our doubts are taking way and they're beginning to stifle the spirit. But here's something, maybe you're experiencing that right now in your prayer life. Every time you go to pray, you just feel like you're taking a knife to God, cutting him down little by little. But instead, what would it look like to do this? To let our doubts become confessions to God and not critiques about God. That when I go to God, it is a confession of all that I am and all that I am not, that God, I don't understand. God, I'm struggling. God, I'm hurting. God, even I feel like you've left me. But they don't turn to critiques about who God is. Instead, they start with, God, I don't know. But God, I believe you're the only one with the answers. God, I believe you're the only one that, can, that has hope. I believe you're the only one that I can turn to. God, help me. That's a spot where the spirit breathes. That's a spot where lives can be changed. That's a spot where doubts can actually increase our faith and we can have more trust in God when our doubts become confessions and not critiques. And the third thing is this. How do we let the spirit breathe? We get in a group. There are so many conclusions that we land on driven by doubts that we never would have gotten to if we were in a group. If we had other people around us, the doubts that are in the back of our minds that we project as truth, if we shared those with other people, they would get cut down in a minute. Like you, you don't really think that about yourself. Oh, you think that about, no, it would never live. Doubts in a group are like fish out of, a water, out of water. They can't breathe. Like you ever did something, you know, growing up, like first day of school maybe, and you did something that you had doubts about. Like you got the shoes that nobody else was getting, but it was, it was a risk, but it could pay off, but you had doubts. And then you walk down the hallway and you're waiting just for somebody to notice so much doubt, every step, more doubt, more doubt, more doubt, until you see your crew. And then they lose their mind. They start hyping you up like, oh, my, I can't believe you got those. Those are so cold. Oh my gosh, dude, you look incredible. I know, no, seriously, can I buy them from you right now? I mean, they immediately give you confidence and take away the doubt. It is the same thing with a group of God, life-giving relationships, people that love God and love Jesus and love you to be able to sit and process your doubts. When you come into those spots, that you have people on the other side of you, if we can be humble enough to say, I don't know, but here's what I'm feeling right now. I don't know, but this is who I'm seeing God to be. Help me see this, help me with my unbelief. And you can have people rally around you that you that can say, I don't know, but here's what I do know. Here's why I know that doubt is a lie from the devil. Here's what I do know about who God is and his unfailing love. This is what I do know about who Jesus is. And you have a whole group of people behind you. That is an environment where the spirit can live. And we have a spot for you. If you're looking for a group, if you're looking for people to come alongside you, we have a spot for you to let the spirit breathe. 
That's what it's about. And I know there's people here today that you're saying, I just wanna believe, I just wanna have a little bit of faith. If I could believe, I would, but I can't get to the faith that I see in other people. I can't get to the faith that God wants me to have. I want you to start with Jesus. Where is this idea that you think that you have to have this superhero faith to come to know God? I just wanna show you how Jesus interacts with doubt through a guy named Thomas who catches a bad rap for having doubt, but nobody read Matthew 28. A lot of them were doubting, even as they were staring at Jesus. But there's one follower that they point out that says he just can't believe it. He was with Jesus, he saw everything, but then they said he's resurrected and he's like, ah, I can't go that far with you. Y'all are wild, I can't get there. Until I see Jesus, that's, that's when I'll believe. And look at what Jesus does. It says the doors were locked, but suddenly, as before Jesus was standing among them, he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, you don't believe? Get out of here. No, he didn't say that. He said, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless. He didn't say don't have doubts. He said, don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. So God knew that you would come to this spot where you would have to make a choice to believe even without necessarily having the proof of seeing Jesus in your face. And he says, blessed are you. That there's so many different ways you could, could go, so many doubts that could lead you in other directions. But if you can come to this spot in just a little bit of faith, if you could muster up a mustard seed of faith and to say, I don't know a lot, but what I do know, what I believe, is that Jesus is who he said he is. What I do believe in, in people, I believe that God came. I believe he lived this perfect life. I believe he loved me so much to go to a cross for me that he lived as a human. He did that for me, that's unfailing love. I don't have all the proof, but I have proof in the fact that God not only went to a cross for me and died, but he proved that he's the one with power over life and death when he resurrected, giving me hope and faith that I can too. I believe, I'm gonna give God the benefit of the doubt. When it comes to pain, all the pain that's keeping you from God, there won't be a time where it's not there. You can't wait until that's gone, until faith comes. Faith comes in the middle of it. Faith comes in the middle of suffering. But what I do know is that God went through that pain. God took the nails. God sent his son. God sacrificed so much for me. I know that my God has a plan for it. I know one day that this won't even, as bad as this is, it won't compare to what awaits me. So I believe. And we just wanna say, if that's you, and always text Jesus to 87221 to begin that conversation to what it looks like to follow Jesus. But what I wanna do right now, it's one of the reasons why we gather on a Sunday is because this is an environment where the spirit breathes. This is a, an environment where we get together and we stir one another up. We hype one another up. 
We come in here with doubts, with struggles, with pain, but then we come to this spot and we look up to God and we say, God, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt in the midst of all of this. Now, I know we talked about this last service, but me and Myron were leading a couple years back and he said something so profound. He was leading at one of our worship nights and he's getting everyone to stand and to sing. And he said, hey, sometimes we worship because we can't help but worship. It's already up here. Like as soon as we walk in, it comes pouring out of us because we believe, we have faith, we know. But he said other times, we gotta start singing and be reminded. Other times we gotta do it even though we don't know why, but we know who. And we have trust that God is gonna show up in this environment. So what I wanna ask you right now, everyone in this room, everyone watching online at the campuses, would you stand with us in this moment? Would you stand with us in our doubts, in our struggles, in our worries, but in our faith that is rock solid? We're gonna declare the name of Jesus because there's a lot we don't know, but we do know who Jesus is. So in this moment, it made it took a lot for you to stand up, standing in your doubts. Your doubts are talking to you, telling you who you aren't. Who does Jesus say you are? In this moment, who does God say you are? Because God doesn't say you are who your doubts say you are. God says that you are handcrafted, made in the image of God. God says you are a reflective image of Him. God said you are worth dying for. God said I'll move heaven and earth to get to you. Who does Jesus say you are? Who do your doubts say God is right now? Does He tell you? Do your doubts tell you that God is distant? That God's keeping you out in the rain? that God is punishing you? No. Who does Jesus say God is? Jesus says God is a father. God is a father that not only wants a relationship with you, he wants to adopt you, he wants to call you his own, that you are a child of God, a son, a daughter. That is who you are. And we serve a God who is faithful. We serve a God who is powerful. We serve a God who speaks and things come to be. That is who God is. And that God is for us. And if he's for us, who can be against us? So right now, we are gonna sing to Jesus, our anchor through all of it. Sing with me as we pray. God, thank you so much. God, thank you for this moment in time. God, that we can come here filled with doubts and struggles. And God, in this moment, we choose you. We choose not to walk down those, those dark hallways of doubt that lead us to more and more confusion. But God, we don't know it all. But what we do know brings us to our feet. What we do know carries us through. What we do know is enough proof to carry us on. What we do know is your love sustains for this moment, for all of eternity. So God, we lift up our voices to you. Jesus, we sing to you. It is our hope that is in you, in your unfailing love. It is in your faithfulness. It's not our faith, but what our faith is in Jesus. It is in you completely. We pray right now that the Spirit would breathe God, we pray this room would be filled with your spirit overtaking us right now in this moment, Jesus. We pray in your perfect name. Amen. Let's sing.